All right, I appreciate the good singing this morning. Those are outstanding songs. Let's open our Bibles to two places, if you would, please. Proverbs chapter 16 and the book of Acts. Handelega, the book of Acts chapter 20. Proverbs 16, you can get that in your left hand. Acts chapter 20 in your right hand. And again, I welcome all of you to what we are calling Vision Sunday. This is our first attempt at doing this, hence you see the year next to the title on your sermon outline today, Vision Sunday 2021. By the grace of God moving forward, we will hold this day on our church anniversary uh, year after year. But I look forward to sharing some of these goals and some different biblical ideas about the church, and I, I really appreciate you folks being here for this. Proverbs chapter 16 and verse number 9 The Bible says here, A man's heart deviseth his way, but the Lord directeth his steps. I believe this is one of the best verses you can turn to to describe how to not only make a plan, but execute a plan. As I understand it, here in South Africa, a burmakaplan. (laughs) You guys know about makanaplan. So this verse goes a long way to helping us understand how to get that done and specifically today uh, while it's very true each individual needs to have a plan a plan for their life not just for their work and for their health but for their spiritual growth this is true of you as an individual as a family a business needs this but as a church it's good that we have some vision moving forward what is the plan And how do we go about executing that plan? If you would join me in a word of prayer, and we're going to look at several different things in Scripture today. Father, thank you for this awesome opportunity today to discuss very important things. Lord, we want to highly esteem this institution you've put together that we call the church. Lord, we want to do it right. We want to do it the way that pleases you in a God-honoring way. Help us today to be led by the Spirit of God as we cover these things. Please fill me now with your Spirit, and we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 I like, if you can look at your outline, this quote by, uh, he's a financier, not a spiritual man at all, but Walter Buffett said this, Someone is sitting in the shade today because someone planted a tree a long time ago. It's a very simple quote, but it makes sense, doesn't it? Somebody had some foresight, said, If I plant a tree now... Maybe years from now, somebody can sit in the shade of this tree. That is precisely the idea, the concept that we would like to do for this church. We want to plant a church. We want to have good, deep roots. And in due time, the church grows and and becomes full-fledged, bearing fruit and providing shade for the next generation. The goal is not just to get through this week and the next and a few more weeks, and then maybe it falls to pieces. Not at all. We want to see this grow and bring forth fruit. And we want it to be planted by the rivers of water, right? As the Bible says. So that it can bring forth fruit and prosper. And accomplish that which God pleases. And in order to do that, as verse 9 says, A man's heart deviseth his way. So you and I as individuals, we can look into our heart and say, What would I like to see happen? And you can take your own goals, your own dreams, your own desires and put that into the plan. That's okay. You're not sinning. You're not doing anything wrong by factoring in what you would like to see happen. Now, obviously, you want to pray about these things. You don't want to make a plan without God. You need to already be familiar with what God expects from the particular project you're trying to do. 
whether it's your work, your family, your church, what does God expect? That gives you a general structure for the plan. But then the specifics, sometimes those are a little bit of a gray area. And your desires, the desires of your heart can factor into that. But the important thing is this, as you go about executing that plan, notice in verse 9 there's a difference. The man's heart deviseth his way. He plans everything out, the whole path. But then the Lord directs the steps. That's each individual action that is taking, or taken to execute that plan. Things don't always go according to plan, do they? And that's okay. That doesn't mean that you failed. That just means that life is happening. But you need to start with a plan. You need to begin executing that plan. God cannot direct your steps if you don't take any. So we want to have a plan, execute the plan, be ready to change the plan. <laughs> and we'll let God direct us as we go through the rest of this year. I'm going to give you, you can see on the paper, seven different goals. It's not that these are the only seven things we seek to accomplish, but we'll look at them individually in just a moment. These are things we'd like to see happen. If we can accomplish them all by October, praise the Lord. <laughs> if it takes us until next March, okay, we'll do the best we can to get to it by then. You see, this is not me trying to put any pressure on you as an individual or on us as a church. We have to finish this by a certain time. God doesn't give us these deadlines like that. But we need to have some sort of a plan moving forward. In Acts chapter 20, in verse number 28, if you could turn over to that. When Jesus came to the earth, he came with a plan, didn't he? He knew exactly what the Father wanted him to do. He knew the overall goal. And even as he went, based on the reactions of the people he was ministering to, the plan changed from time to time. Jesus would be in one city ministering. The people would come and attack him. And he'd have to move on to another city before he wanted to. So sometimes you have to make adjustments. But he had a plan. As a matter of fact, this plan was very old. The Bible says before the foundation of the world, God had this plan. The plan was if mankind sins, that was an if, if mankind sins, then I'll send my son to die for those sins. And there was a further, another backup plan. When Jesus came, plan A was to offer repentance to the Jews. If they received Jesus as the Messiah, then... Jesus would still have to die, be buried, and rise again. That was always part of the plan. That was non-negotiable. But if the Jews would have received him, then Jesus, after the resurrection, he goes back to heaven. Immediately, there would have began that seven-year period of tribulation. Jesus would have then come back to the earth and established his kingdom, and the Jewish people would have been the chief nation on earth. That, now, that's going to happen in the future. That's biblical prophecy. But it would have already been fulfilled if the Jews would have received him. But the Bible says in the book of John, Jesus came unto his own, and his own received him not. Even Jesus acknowledged while he was preaching, he said, if you receive it, then John the Baptist will have fulfilled this and that. So Jesus knew there were, it was conditional. Now, you might look at that and go, well, wow, his plan failed. The plan was always conditional, and Jesus had a backup plan. If the Jews reject, I'll go back to heaven, and then I will send the Holy Spirit, and we'll start this new thing called the body of Christ, which in the New Testament is another way of referring to the universal church. Right? This was always God's plan B. 
if you will. So it's always good to have a plan. Even if the plan doesn't work out the way you had originally intended, that happened to Jesus. But at least start with a plan. When Jesus came to the earth, he, he is the one that instituted the church. He built it. He gave it structure and he gave it leadership. He gave it rules. He gave it regulations. The church then is obviously very important to Jesus. Before the universal church ever started, the local church started. Think about that. Jesus had a local church. He had a group of believers assembling together with him before the Holy Spirit came down and started what we know as the body of Christ. The local church was started by Jesus, and therefore I think we should highly esteem the institution that we know as the local church. Acts chapter 20, verse 28. The Bible says, this is Paul speaking to the Ephesians, Take heed therefore unto yourselves and to, and to all the flock, over the which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers. Do you see that? To feed the church of God, which he hath purchased with his own blood. How precious is the church? How precious is the church? Well, if you want to know how precious something is, you can look at its price tag. That's not the only way to tell, but it is one way to tell, right? Ladies, when you get that engagement ring, and you find out, man, this took three years of his salary. It's pretty special, you know? It's special enough that he asked, but wow, look at the size of that rock. That's huge. <laughs> you can look at the price tag. What was the price tag to purchase the church? The Bible says he purchased it with his own blood. Think about how precious, how special the church is to Jesus Christ. Now, if it's special to him, shouldn't it be special to us? Shouldn't it demand our attention? It certainly deserves it. I want you to see also in verse 28, the Holy Ghost calls people, prepares them, and then places them in the ministry as overseers. This tells me something about the church. God has given it structure. He's given it people to lead, to, to lead that, that organization, that group. And if they're going to lead, then they have to lead according to the structure, the plan that Jesus made for it. All the rules and regulations that he set out, we enforce them. And it's not as if there's a long list of them. But there are certain things that the church must accomplish, and those leaders are responsible to make sure those things are being done. Now, as far as the church is concerned. I want to give you a few biblical thoughts on this. Take your Bible. Come to 1 Corinthians chapter 14. Some of this will feel like preaching. Some of this is just teaching. And then some of this I, I would like to be interactive, maybe a discussion. I share some thoughts with you. If you have a question, you're more than welcome to ask as we go. That would be part of Vision Sunday, making sure we're on the same page as a church moving forward. 1 Corinthians 14, verse 40, the Apostle Paul writes, Let all things be done decently and in order. He's writing to a local church. They had found themselves with a bit of chaos and confusion. Do you see this in verse number 33? God is not the author of confusion, but of peace, as in all the churches of the saints. So confusion or chaos, that's when you're working without a plan. We need decency and order. How do we do that? Well, we, we put some structure to it. We create some goals. Uh, flip over a little bit to the right. Come to 1 Timothy chapter 5. 1 Timothy chapter 5. 
1 Timothy 5 in verse number 9. In this passage, Paul is dealing with widows and how they should be supported. The first option for supporting a widow is family. If, she, if, if the husband has passed, if she has kids that can financially help her, they should help her. If she doesn't have kids or maybe the kids are not financially able to do it, the responsibility goes to other relatives, maybe uh, cousins, things like that. Somebody else that could help her out, nephews, nieces. If no one else is there to help her, then the church would then be charged with her care. So look at verse number nine. Let not a widow be taken into the number under threescore years old, 60 years old. And now watch the regulations they've put down. Having been the wife of one man, well reported of for good works, if she have brought up children, if she have lodged strangers, if she have washed the saints' feet, if she have relieved the afflicted, if she had diligently followed every good work. Notice they had regulations. They had rules. They're not just going to have some lady walk in and go, hey, I'm a widow. You don't know me, but give me money. That's not how it worked. They said, well, we need to know you. You need to have a solid testimony. And then it says in verse 9, let her be taken into the number. That's an interesting word, the number there. The Greek word behind that is katalego. Katalego. See if this sounds familiar in English. Catalog. It's where the word catalog comes from. Katalego. It means to enroll somebody. So this lends itself to the idea of church membership. Now, this isn't membership here. I, I, honestly, there's no verse in the New Testament that comes out and says, sign a form, become a member, nothing like that. But this does lend itself to that idea that the church is organized, they have rules and regulations. If you want support from the church, then we will put your name on the list, but you have to meet these qualifications first. So if they have a catalog, for the widows that get supported, I think it's not a stretch of the imagination to say there's a catalog of who's a member and who's not a member as well. Take your Bible, if you would, come to Acts chapter 7. Acts chapter 7 and verse number 38. And if you don't mind, in your other hand, you can get 1 Corinthians 10. Say, Pastor, we're looking at a lot of verses. Amen. You're at Bible Baptist Church. <laughs> Bible Baptist. 1 Corinthians 10, and first off, we'll look at Acts chapter 7. Before I show you the verses, can I just give you a quick run-through of the book of Acts? Acts chapter 2, 3, 4, 5. You know what you find there? Evangelism and edification. People are getting saved and discipled. It's the first thing the church did, saved and discipled. Acts chapter 6, there's outreach and organization. They are reaching out, feeding widows, helping people in the community, and they choose deacons. They need seven men because there's about 10,000 members at this point. So they choose out seven men to help organize their efforts so that the pastors of the church, the apostles, can give themselves to fasting and prayer and the ministry of the word. And the deacons, runners in the dust, they're taking care of the daily menial task of the church. So there's organization and outreach. And then by Acts 8, there's mobilization and mission work. Persecution happens, the church spreads out, and they start taking the gospel to Judea, Samaria, and then in Acts 10, 11, the uttermost part of the earth. They're taking it to the Gentiles after that. Evangelization and edification. Outreach, organization. 
Mobilization, mission work. Do you see how the church progressed in this? We'd like to see the same thing happen with us. Acts 7, verse 38. The Bible says here, speaking of Moses, this is he that was in the church in the wilderness. Now that's all I need you to see there. Moses was the first pastor in the Bible. He pastored the first church in the Bible. The congregation he had was called the children of Israel. First Baptist Church. <laughs> it was called, it was the children of Israel. And Moses, you talk about a mega church. He had eh, at least a million members. At least a million. So that's a, that's a fairly mega church, right? First church in the Bible was a mega one. Now, when you, when you know this, you can go back to the book of Exodus where that church started and learn a lot about a local church. Now, again, just quickly, I'm going to run you through this. If you're familiar with Exodus, this will help a lot. Just turn over to 1 Corinthians 10, and I'll lay the foundation for this point. 1 Corinthians 10, verse 1. Moreover, brethren, I would not that ye should be ignorant how that all our fathers were under the cloud and all passed through the sea. Are we all familiar with that story? Yeah, yeah this is Exodus 14, when Israel came out of Egypt and they're passing through the Red Sea. Yeah, verse 2, and we're all baptized unto Moses in the cloud and in the sea. And he's using a type, right? It's a, it's a figure of it. Verse 3, and did all eat the same spiritual meat? Say, so what's that? That's Exodus 15, when they ate the manna and the quails, but especially he's thinking of the manna here. In verse 4, and did all drink the same spiritual drink? That's Exodus 17. For they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. So the rock you read about in Exodus 17 is a picture of the Lord Jesus Christ. You smack it with a rod, out comes the water of life. So when Jesus gets stricken on the cross, he gets smacked by our sins, and out comes salvation is the picture there. So let's, Paul uses those two things as a picture of baptism and the Lord's Supper. He's explaining the ordinances of the local church to the Corinthian people. Now let's walk through this. Exodus 12 and 13, what do you have? Passover lamb, put the blood on the door. And if the blood, if you're covered in the blood, then the death angel passes over and you're spared from the wrath of God. Redemption. Redemption specifically by the blood. You are saved by the blood. Question Friend, have you been saved by the blood? Has the blood of Jesus Christ been applied to your spiritual doorpost, to your soul, so that when death comes passing your way, you are not going to experience the wrath of God? Without the blood, there is no redemption. There is no salvation. Exodus 12 and 13, redemption. Exodus 14, go through the Red Sea, that's baptism. Exodus 15, eat the spiritual meat, the manna. The Lord's Supper, we eat the bread. Exodus 17, smack the rock, out comes water. That's the spiritual drink, Lord's Supper. Exodus 18, what happens? People come one by one all day. 12 hours a day, Moses is judging the people, telling them this is what you do, this is how you handle it, fix your marriage, fix your business. Jethro, his father-in-law, says, Moses, you're gonna wear away. You need to get some help in here, counseling. It's a massive part of a local church is helping people with their individual situations, getting them in line with the word of God. Exodus 19, do you know what happens? God comes down on Mount Sinai and he says, Moses, come here. I want you to create a barrier. I'm gonna have a long conversation with you and you're gonna tell Israel what I expect from them as a group. 
Give them my laws, my words. This is, turns into the Constitution for Israel. And he says, if you do these things, you'll be a holy nation unto me, a peculiar people. You'll be different from the rest of the world. Do you know what the word church means? The word church comes from the Greek word ekklesia, which means a called out assembly. We're called out of the world. We're to be separate and sanctified, different from the world. What makes us different? God telling us how to live. Here's the constitution. Here's the rules and regulations. Here's the T's and C's, which do apply. That's Exodus 19 to 23. God gives them his law. That's Mount Sinai. And then, to top it off, after you have the constitution and church membership, because everybody in Israel had to say, we will follow those rules. They all answered. When Moses said, here's what God expects, they said, we will do a sign, sign us up. We want to be a part of this. And then Exodus chapter 25 to the end of the book, you know what happens? Hold on to your seats, a building project. God says, Moses, go tell them to give a little bit of money and get the tabernacle built. And for the rest of the book, it's building the tabernacle. And that's a whole nother story in and of itself. But do you see in the book of Exodus how you have this wonderful template or structure for how a local church is expected to operate? A lot we can learn from that. Now, we're gonna take a look for a moment at what we would like to accomplish as, as a church in the next year. I say in the next year, by the end of the year. To use Moses again, if you've read the book of Deuteronomy, what he did for the last few months of his life was tell the people of Israel, this is what to expect in the days to come. In the latter days, this is gonna happen. After I'm dead, this is how you carry on. He was making a long-term plan. That's what we wanna do. What is our long-term plan? Not just this month, but through the rest of the year. So I've given you seven things. Let's take a look. Uh, turn in your Bibles with me. Second Timothy chapter three. We're just gonna run through these verses quickly. But I would like for you to see it in the Bible so that you know we are anchored to something very solid here. Second Timothy 3, verse 14. And the first goal is actually something that we're all familiar with. We want to continue with the already established ministries of our church. And let me tell you what I mean by those. Things like evangelism. We go out on the streets every week. We want to head out to the puck and try to do as much as we can on the campus. COVID makes that a little difficult, but we want to do what we can. Discipleship. We are busy with that. Bible school. This is something we've been doing for a while. We want to con continue emphasizing that. Uh, life stage groups. You know, we've been putting a lot of effort into that and a lot of people have done so much for, uh, you know, we have the, the uh, couples group, we have singles events, we have senior saints, we have all these different groups that are busy doing stuff. And then we have our small groups in the, in the middle of the week. These things we wanna continue on with. We don't wanna let them die or fizzle. Second Timothy 3, verse number 14. Paul says, but continue thou in the things which thou hast learned and hast been assured of, knowing of whom thou hast learned them. And you can obviously see what I'm focusing on, but continue thou. If you're doing something right, stick with it. Stay with it. If it's working, don't give up on it. Keep getting that job done. So these are things we want to continue until the end of the year and even beyond. Uh, come back a little bit in your Bible, 2 Corinthians chapter 10. 2 Corinthians 10. 
Verse number 15, number two on the list. I'd love to see us have further involvement in missions. Further involvement in missions. There's two ways I think we can do this. Number one, locally, you know that we used to visit Dundee on a regular basis. There's a group of saints that side. We haven't, again, this is more my health and then COVID kind of stopped that for a while. But I'd love to get back to seeing them. I called them recently. Even though I haven't been there in two years, I guess, two, maybe three years, they've still carried on. They meet every week. They follow along with the sermons. They're doing discipleship. Can you believe it? On their own. They have people going out witnessing there, and they don't have a pastor to lead them in these things. They're just doing them. So I'd love to be able to go visit them. Also, we have a church in Henenmon, and forgive me, time doesn't allow for us to go into the history of how that started, but I'd love to be able to help that uh, fledgling church. It's a very new church, but we'd love to help them get more grounded and better established. And then obviously, outside of this country, worldwide, foreign missions, guys, I... I want our church to have a heart for missions. I've never seen a church that loves missions that God didn't use it and bless it and preserve it and have his hand on it. I want to stay involved in missions as much as we can. Our yearly missions conference in in September, every year we do it in September, I'm really looking forward to that. I hope you are. I hope you're praying now, God, show me what I can do to be more involved in missions. Give me another missionary to pray for. Give me another missionary that I can write to. Guys, that means so much. I've been a missionary now for a long time, 19 years. I know how much it means to get an email from somebody on the other side of the pond that I don't even know. says, hey, Brother Flick, praying for you. Anything special I can pray about? That means a lot. Ask God, who can I do that for? And then say, God, is there any room in my budget that I could maybe help one of these missionaries somewhere we have foreign pastors in india brother vimal he has about 40 pastors that really need the help really need the help we got guys in malawi they also busy about god's work look at second corinthians 10 verse 15 paul writes not boasting of things without our measure that is of other men's labors but having hope when your faith is increased that we shall be enlarged by you according to our rule abundantly What's he mean? Paul came to Corinth, started a church there. He says, now our ministry is gonna grow when you guys grow and take the gospel out further. Verse 16, you'll see it here. To preach the gospel in the regions beyond you. There's missions. And not to boast in another man's line of things made ready to our hand. Paul says, I'm not gonna brag about somebody else's work as if it's mine because there's plenty of potential right here. Let's take the gospel and do what we can locally, but then let's see if we can take it to the regions beyond. And guys, Paul wrote this, you know, almost 2,000 years ago. He didn't have access to transportation and technology like we do. There are so many opportunities for us to get the gospel to the regions beyond. Next thing I'd like to address, number three, you can turn your Bibles to Hebrews chapter two. And we'll talk about singing just for a moment. Singing. I love the singing in our church. I love so much that you guys get into it. You guys sing out. Not all of you are singing on on key, by the way. Some of you couldn't carry a tune in a bucket, but that's okay. We we love it anyway. You know what I love about, about you folks and when you sing? I mean, plenty of you do have a beautiful voice, but I love how genuine it is. 
I love to hear you folks sing and you're not worried about who you're impressing or how pretty it, it sounds. You just want to genuinely worship God with that song. I love that. I, this is just me personally. I think there's a time and a place for a polished performance, right? If you pay money to go to a concert, I hope it's polished, right? I hope they've practiced. I hope it sounds nice if you're going to pay money for that ticket. But I, I don't come to church expecting polished performances. I come to church to worship God and I want to see other people worship God. That inspires me, it provokes me to do that as well. And, and therefore, when I say singing, it's not just congregational music, I want you to sing louder or anything like that. Although, by all means, let's continue to do that. But I would love to see more of you. Give it a go, come up here and sing a special. Now, something we're going to do on Sunday nights, this is a new hymn book we've put together. Uh, we've actually had this put together for a while, but then COVID happened. But we are going to start using some of these new songs. And these new songs, they lend themselves to various instruments as well. So we'll try to introduce those as God provides that talent in our church. We do not expect polished performances. We expect people that really mean what they're singing. That's all we ask. That's all we ask. You can come up here, and if you're scared, listen, close your eyes. <laughs> I've seen people do that. They say, God put it on my heart to sing this song, but I'm really scared. And they close their eyes, and they sing, and it's beautiful. It's beautiful. I can remember so many times in church, I mean, my heart nearly exploded with the joy just overwhelmed by what was going on. One young lady was raised in an orphanage. Her mother and father hated it. It was just a horrible story. She had been through so much. Her life was a disaster, drugs, alcohol, everything you can imagine. And God saved her and changed her. And she got up to sing. And you wouldn't know it to look at her. She looked refined. She looked like she grew up in a Christian home. She was a wreck. And she got up one day in church. And it's in our hymn book. She tilted her head back. She was nervous and shaking. She said, Oh, the deep, deep love of Jesus. My. And she said, Oh, my goodness. I lost it. I stood up in the church. And I went, Amen. Amen. I, I didn't know what to do. It was just too much. Brilliant. She wasn't a trained singer. I mean, she sounded nice. But it was what the song meant to her. So I'm inviting you, please. It doesn't have to be polished and perfect. It just needs to be genuine. Come and say, Pastor, I, can you, I'd like to sing a song. We will slot you in during the announcements time is the best time to do it and have you come and just sing your song. Yeah, and if it's a group of you, if that makes you more comfortable, bring a small group, bring a little choir. We're all for it. I'm so open to ideas. You do not have to sing a song out of the book. You don't have to sing a song out of this book. I'm showing you this just to, so you know we're seeking to expand our repertoire a little bit. <laughs> we just want you to feel free to worship God in that way. As I preached last week, you can do that here. Amen. You can do that here. Hebrews 2 verse 12 saying, I will declare thy name unto my brethren in the midst of the what? In the midst of the? Church. Will I sing praise unto thee? Guess who said that? Guess, guess, now you know David wrote it, but do you know who's actually saying that? That is a messianic prophecy. That is Jesus. He says, I'm going to sing a special. 
I'll sing praise unto God in the midst of the church. I think it's an extremely biblical thing to do. Next thing we want to address, if you would, please turn your Bibles to 1 Corinthians 16, verse 15. 1 Corinthians 16 and verse 15. The next thing we'll talk about, the next goal, and this is a very broad one, but I think it's a very necessary one. It's one of those things that we can just let it happen uh, over time, but I think if we actually make an effort to create opportunities to accomplish this, it can go much better. So the next thing on the list is get to know each other better. And, and I do want that to happen organically. Right? There's, to me, I hate it when I'm put into a situation where I'm forced into it and it's awkward and, hi, who are you? <laughs> I, okay, that's great. I, I have no clue why we're doing this. It's very, I don't like those situations. So if I can recommend this, participation in church events, including Sunday service. Participation in small groups, in the life stage groups, coming to the church brides, those kind of things are gonna lend themselves to getting to know each other better. Now, guys, I am not, I have no intention of taking one person's hand and running them over to another person, taking their hand and go, okay, you two talk and get to know each other. That's the awkward thing I don't wanna do, right? One of the awkward things I don't wanna do. So in, in that sense, all I can do is create an atmosphere that invites this openness to say, hey, this is my chance to just chat and care and get to know everybody a little bit, but you're gonna have to do your part as well. So we create the event, there's your opportunity. You're gonna have to open yourself up to those opportunities. So 1 Corinthians 16, verse 15, Paul says this, I beseech you, brethren, parentheses, Ye know the house of Stephanus, that it is the first fruits of Achaia, and that they have addicted themselves to the ministry of the saints. Now, there's so much good stuff in this verse. One thing I want you to see, ye know the house of Stephanus. So what about you? Now, listen, we have some visitors here today. Thank you so much for being with us. This is not the typical Sunday, by the way. Vision Sunday is meant to be something very special just for our church. So please come back next week. You'll get a taste of a normal-ish service, right? But for those of you that have been coming around for a while, can you look around the church and go, yeah, I know that family. Man, they love God. They serve God like this and this and this. As I mentioned earlier, we have dozens of people in this church that are very active doing this or that, but we don't always see it. And, and I'm not saying that to condemn anyone. That's just life. We, we don't do these things to be seen of men, but it is encouraging to know, hey, this family is doing that. This family is busy with this. Furthermore, if you would like to get more involved, it's good to know if I want to do that, I can go see that person. See, and they can help me out with this. You might have a shared or a common interest or talent or something like that. So as much as we can, I'd like to get to know each other better. Uh, you don't have to turn to it, but in 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 12, Paul said, we beseech you, brethren, to know them which labor among you. Know them which labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you. Not just know your pastor, although that is in the verse but know them that labor among you, your fellow laborers. So get to know each other better. The next thing, take your Bible, come to Revelation chapter three. 
Revelation 3 and verse number 20. Number five on our list, we'd like to move into our own building. Move into our own building. Now, you might, you might think, well, that's a bit ambitious to move in by the end of the year. Actually not. God has been working a lot of things out. Um, I, do, I can't remember the last update I gave you exactly what, what had happened by that point. The plot we were going to buy, the gentleman offered us not just the back portion of that plot, but now the entire plot. There's already an existing structure on it. So long story short, it lends itself to a very simple building project. We actually have the money in our account to build the structure we need to move in. We wouldn't need to borrow for that. We would need to borrow a little bit of money to make the purchase of the entire plot. However, you guys have been so generous and faithful to your giving, we have been able to save up more than three million rands towards this project. So we are ready to make a massive down payment and I'll talk about it here in a moment. There's a very good chance that while I'm on my furlough, the rest of the money will be raised and we could pay cash up front for the whole thing by the end of the year. The paperwork has already been submitted. I received official recognition of it from the city planner and from the municipality. We should have about two, three more weeks and then we'll know if we can begin building by that time. So things are really moving forward nicely. But as you know, paperwork and bureaucracy is of the <laughs> devil. So, <laughs> yeah. so we need a lot of prayer as we move forward and we wanna do this smartly. We are taking every precaution. We've gone to lawyer. We're doing everything we can so that the church is not unduly burdened by this project. But there are a lot of advantages to having your own building. Number one, if I can say it right now with everybody shivering out there, especially those of you sitting near a window and you're feeling the cool breeze of the Holy Spirit moving through, <laughs> we will have heat in that new building and you won't have to put up with this. So there, there's just a number of things that will be helped. Uh, let me point this out to you. I'm lowballing this, lowballing. The man hours we spend setting up the church and breaking it down, lowball, 12 hours a month. Man hours, 144 hours a year spent here just moving chairs around and sweeping the floor. Now, in the new building, yes, we'll still need to do a little bit of cleaning and maintenance that happens, but not three man hours a week, you know, in perpetuity to the rest of time that we are going to save so much time. And that's 144 more hours we could spend with our families. We could spend in prayer. We could spend study. But there's so much more you could do with your time. And that's lowballing. I took the minimum figure. I think the more real, realistic figure is about double that. So that'll be tremendous by, by itself. Streamlining our efforts for services, for fellowship, we'll be able to hold more events. And guys, this is part of getting established. Any bit, and guys, the church is not a business, but anytime a business wants to get established, you might start in your garage, right? Because you have nowhere else to be. But after that business takes off, there's a good chance that the garage is not able to sustain long-term growth. You have to eventually consider looking elsewhere so that the business can continue to grow. And likewise, there's an aspect of the church that we need to have that consideration also. Revelation 3.20, say, why choose this verse? The only verse I know of in the Bible that talks about a church building. Verse 20, behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come in to him and will sup with him and he with me. 
You know, we often use that verse about talking you know, about a guy's heart. Jesus is knocking on, at the door of his heart. It makes good preaching, but what's actually happening there is Jesus is knocking at the door of a church. And if anybody's inside and hears Jesus knocking, then Jesus comes in and fellowships with that person, right? So that's what the verse is actually about. It's the only time I know of in the Bible where you have an actual building mentioned, and even there is just the door. But I assume the door is connected to a building. <laughs> I'm not trying to privately interpret. I'm just saying doors go with buildings, so that's as close. Jesus doesn't mind coming to a church building. The problem is the people inside need to let him in. Now, that's a whole other sermon. We'll preach that some other day. All right, last, or no, no, second to last. Let's come to Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10. Number six on the list. We would like to resume our evening services. Now, this is a, I almost put this as number one, continue with the already established but I'm making it separate because I'd like to emphasize something special here. Resume our evening services. For the longest time, we met at 6 p.m. on Sundays. We did not, it was not a student service, although we did have a lot of students attend that service. I think that's more of a cultural thing than it is a Bible Baptist thing, and that's fine. But our 6 p.m. service, we had different Bible studies and sermons and different series of things that we learned. But we want to resume it. We'd like to have that extra time to come together and assemble now why do we need that that's the question I want to pose why not be satisfied with Sunday mornings I mean here we are some of you have been here since nine o'clock this morning isn't this enough we do have the live stream you know on Sunday nights and Tuesdays and Wednesdays for Bible school why not be satisfied with that Hebrews 10 verse 24 let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works you can't do that on YouTube not effectively. Not a, if you want to accomplish that 100%, I'd, I'd say on YouTube, maybe half a percent you can get that right. The other 99.5%, you can't get that done on YouTube. You need to be around each other. You need to see and hear and feel what's going on. Now notice at the end of verse 24, no full stop, verse 25, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together. Can't do that on YouTube. Assembling together happens one way and you're doing it right now. You come together. Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another as and so much the more as you see the day approaching. Can we see the day of Christ's return approaching? All the time. So the Bible says you need to come together so much the more. Why resume an evening service? if for nothing else, to fulfill that verse. But what's the purpose of the verse? To encourage each other, to exhort each other. Now listen, let me address this YouTube thing, lest anybody get the wrong idea. Using YouTube to fill in a gap, right? If you're sick and can't come to church, completely understandable. If your business takes you out of town and is really, there's nothing you can do about it, and you fill in the gap with a YouTube service, that, that, that makes sense, right? That makes sense. If you have a busted leg and you need crutches, use the crutches. You don't need to prove anything by, by trying to walk without the crutches. You're gonna hurt yourself worse. But once the leg is better and you still walk on the crutches, you're making that leg weaker. And it's gonna hurt you down the road. 
that leg is not going to be able to carry the weight of your body and after a while you're not going to walk so well we want you to walk strong and firm and upright with God and if during a time of COVID there's no choice and and you have underlying condition and it's a genuine thing where you have no control over it and you need to watch a YouTube service to fill in the gap then you've used it properly but you can abuse YouTube church services guys it's one thing to say well I got my sermon for the week that is not church that's not church it's one thing to get a sermon it's another thing to come to church church is more than a sermon church is being in the building and listening to people say amen and and watching the song leader get excited and hearing people going glory to God and seeing people weep and cry when they hear about the gospel and and hearing testimonies during small group and during church services of hey I was lost but now I'm found I got saved and my life is different and I got joy for the first time in 15 20 years I actually have peace in my heart you need to hear that you need to see that you don't get that on YouTube you just don't get that Abusing it would fall in this category. You don't come to the service because, well, you're just lazy. It's just easier to stay at home. Well, because it's cold. And my, the blankets on my bed are a lot warmer. Well, I don't want to come to church because, you know, I just don't like those people. Too many people in the church I don't like. I don't want to... You know one of the reasons you need to come to a church is so that you learn how to fix relationships with people. That is fundamental to life. To work those differences out. People say, I don't want to come to church because I don't want that extra accountability. I don't want to feel pressured into participating. We're not here to pressure you to do anything you don't want to do. But if you come and you go, man, everybody else is involved and loving each other and serving God and is genuine and that makes you feel a little bit bad because you're not part of it, that's healthy conviction. That you have been provoked unto love and to good works mission accomplished <laughs> that's why you need to come you say but brother Mike you don't have to come to an organized church you know where two or three are gathered together in my name there am I in the midst of them Jesus said that right yeah. so here's how people apply it I'll get two or three people together in my house we got a bride going outside everything's lekker lekker <laughs> and during the bride we will pronounce the name Jesus so now that we have said Jesus we have done it in his name and now two or three gathered together, it's a church. No, it's not. Because when you invoke the name Jesus, you are also saying, I am going to do this under his authority. To do something in someone's name means I have been authorized to do this by that name. Therefore, I must do it according to his will. I have to do it his way, not mine. If you say I'm going to do it in Jesus' name and then operate that thing completely differently, you're not doing it in his name, you're doing it in yours. That's not a church. By all means, yes, if two or three are gathered and you're doing it in a biblical way according to the command of Christ, two or three is enough. But do not think that you can just say the name Jesus and that covers it. Jesus, as I've mentioned, he set up a structure, he put overseers, he gave rules and regulations. We need to follow those. They're important and they're there for a reason. Last thing on my list here for goals, Acts chapter 14. Acts chapter 14. Guys, I had at least double the size um, 
double, double the amount of goals on the list, but a lot of them turned into personal goals. And I didn't see it so much as a church thing. Things like memorizing a number of verses or passing out a certain number of tracks. I'm just mentioning that. Maybe you want to take those on as a personal goal yourself. Uh, But Acts chapter 14, this last church-wide goal, I'd like to have a profitable furlough. Now, how many of you know what the word furlough is? Have you heard this before, furlough? Not a lot of you. It's not a common word, even for me. Before I became a missionary, I didn't know what this was. When you look in the dictionary, I was shocked when I I looked this week. (laughs) Here are two definitions for furlough. A temporary leave from work that is not paid and is often for a set period of time. So, honey, I'm sorry. We're not getting paid for this. (laughs) And then secondly, here's the other definition for furlough. A set period of time when a prisoner is allowed to leave a prison. (laughs) So here in a few months, I am taking a furlough. (laughs) I do not want you to think that you're my prison. (laughs) I am not fleeing from the prison by any means, all right? When a missionary takes a furlough, he goes back to his home country and reports to the churches that support him and that sent him to that other place, and he gets some rest and rejuvenation and then comes back to the field. I have taken two furloughs in my life. Now, for 19 years of mission work, two furloughs is a little ridiculous, and I use that word purposely because that's what pastors tell me. Brother Flick, it's ridiculous that you haven't come home more than two times. I have children on the other side now. I have a grandchild on the other side. Grandbaby number two is due next month. A lot of reasons to go visit, but God has called me to be here. I've tried to be busy about my father's business. When I need a furlough, I take one. I'm not shy about that, but I've been here now nine years, and a lot of the supporting churches I have don't don't even remember my face. They know that they support me because, you know, they write the check every month. And they read our prayer letters every month. I write a letter and report. But they, they'd really like to see me. So it's necessary that I go back. Usually four years on the field, one year back at home. That's generally what you see happening. I've heard of a lot of missionaries going two years on the field, one year back at home. I'm not going to do that. I'm, I'm now nine years on the field. I'm going back for three months. So, well, three and a half. October, halfway through October, November, December, and then halfway through January, I'll be back. So when I say a profitable furlough, what I'm looking, what I would like to see happen is while I'm gone, no bickering, fussing, fighting, no questioning the leadership that is in place, but everybody coming together and supporting each other and going, you know what? We don't need Pastor Mike to be here to accomplish everything else on this list, serve God acceptably, see people save discipleship. You guys have everything you need. If you think about it, you got everything you need. Now, in the past, I have had to step away for a week or two because of health, even a month at times, for health-related issues. And in those times, I, I had to be incommunicado. You couldn't reach me. This time, I will still be doing live streams from the other side. So I'll still be as involved as I can be from 10,000 kilometers away. But look at Acts chapter 14. Let me show you in the Bible where this happened. The Apostle Paul comes back from a mission journey. Verse 27. And when they were come and had gathered the church together, they rehearsed all that God had done with them and how he had opened the door of faith unto the Gentiles. And there they abode long time with the disciples. So they spent a, a while 
in Antioch. They're at home getting rest, getting rejuvenated, and then they came back to the field. Now, what I'd love to see happen while I'm away, you guys just keep pressing on. Not a time of, I don't like the way he says it. Why did Brother Mike leave that guy in charge? Brother Garrett, you know, he is our assistant pastor in this church, but I say this with him sitting here. He is an assistant pastor with training wheels. (laughs) And I say that not, does everybody know what training wheels are? I've said that a few times. You guys always look at me like, what is that? Like a cow looking at a new gate. You're like, what is that? He, he gets it. This is not a secret. He, he knows that he's rather new to this. I know that. You know that. Guys, I, I make mistakes in the pulpit. He's going to make mistakes in the pulpit. Uh, but the people that we've left in charge, the people that are organizing things for the life stage groups, Brother Francois, our deacon, these guys, they genuinely have the best interest in mind for this church. They are working hard to, to make sure that things run biblically and that they're pleasing to God. And I would ask that you please support them in this endeavor. And a lot of you, I think, already have that heart and mind to do such a thing. But this isn't the time to, here's my opportunity to jump in and make my voice known. If you have concerns, our, my door is always open. If there's some things that you think we could do differently, I am, please let me know. That's how we improve. That's how we get things fixed up. But I would really ask that you get behind these guys while I'm gone. Now, in order for these things to be accomplished, I would like to ask you personally, look through the list and ask yourself, where can I get involved? And I I would hope that it's all six, or seven rather, (laughs) all six. (laughs) You pick the one you want left out, right? (laughs) I hope it's it's all eight. Here, make make one up. (laughs) I hope it's all of them, just to whatever extent you're capable of, right? One thing that I would like to do is emphasize just for a moment the need for church membership. This is something that I have not pushed much up until now, but I think that it's very important moving forward. And and let me say why I want to emphasize it now. Joining a church on a piece of paper, signing your name, does not make you any more spiritual. And to be honest, it doesn't actually help the church. Not initially. What really helps is when you actually participate. See, you can participate, be a part of all these things, all these small groups and Bible. You can do all of that without signing the paper, right? So why sign the paper? So that the church can do all things decently and in order. This is a very practical thing. This is not a spiritual exercise, signing a membership form. This is a practical thing where we need to be able to make plans. We need to be able to have a budget, so if we have 100 people come to the service, which we've had that for several weeks now, if we have 100 people coming to this service and only 20 of you want to be actual members, I need to make a budget for the next year that plans on 20 people that might tithe and give offerings instead of the 100 people that are lifelong visitors. Because I, I can't plan that you're gonna support the church in that kind of way. Now, you're welcome to come and visit. I'm not gonna condemn you for not signing the paper, but plan. We need to know who can we count on to do these specific things. If we want to plan a churchwide bry or an event, we need to know how many people would actually be interested by signing the membership form. Now we can actually make a list. Now we have presently about 70 members that have already signed. And if you have already signed, you're welcome. And I actually would ask that you please fill it out again, just so that we can update our records. 
If you have never signed and you would like to know, well, what does it take? I'm gonna run you through this quickly. And forgive me, I'm not trying to take too long. I know that we're pressing on almost an hour now, but can you just turn the, the page over, your outline page? What are our requirements for membership? And this we can just look at very quickly. When somebody signs the membership registration, they are not automatically a member. We, we will then review that. Let's call it an application, if you will, but we'll review the form. And if you meet the requirements, we add you to the catalego. We add you to the catalog, right? You are now enrolled. So number one, you need to have a biblically sound testimony of salvation. If you have questions about what that is, let me know. Number two, complete at least the basic portion of the discipleship lessons. We have a book we use in our church. It's called I Have Found the Book. This will be the first 10 lessons. You need to have completed that because you cannot support the fundamental beliefs and practices of the church if you don't know what they are. We don't want you to join ignorantly. We want you to know what you're getting into. Number three, be scripturally baptized. Number four, faithful attendance of church services, accepting hindrances beyond one's control. And to further explain that, to join, one must attend regularly for three months. And then under that, a member is expected to faithfully attend weekly services. And that is, you are here unless you cannot be here. Right. So it's kind of built into what we've said, accepting hindrances. So if you're not hindered, we expect you to be here. Number five, support the fundamental beliefs and practices of the church. Now watch it on this one. I didn't say you have to agree with them. I said you have to support them. And there's a difference. You may not agree with some smaller issue, and that's okay. But the fundamental beliefs and practices, even if you don't agree, don't get in the way of us doing those things. You can't jump up and go, I don't agree, I'm not gonna do. You said you'd support them, and then on we go. Number six, accept any discipline that comes from ongoing, yeah, uh, from ongoing and purposeful scripturally condemned behavior. Now, that, that's a long list of things, but here's what we mean, which includes suspension. This is one of the punishments. May occur if you're absent for a month, except in December, except in situations beyond one's control, health-related things, business, and so forth. And guys, we're very accommodating. It's not as if we're looking for a reason to suspend people. We have to put these things in for order, for, for, to, to have some rules and regulations so things move smoothly. Under that... Uh, in the case of ongoing sinful behavior, along with membership suspension, counseling will take place. So if we find out that you're habitually doing something that creates a bad testimony for you, the church, and Christ, we will suspend the membership because if you're a member, you can vote. But if you're living a wicked life and don't come to church, we don't want you voting. <laughs> That's why we would suspend you, right? Um, so if we find out something's going on, we will sit you down not to chew you out, to help you. So listen, we, we've recognized this. We'd like to help you get over it. So that's the way we'd handle that. Suspension may be lifted if regular attendance resumes. That means you start coming for a month again. Or the sinful behavior has been dealt with and the member has proven him or herself to be clear in the matter. All right, termination may occur if irregular attendance occurs over the span of six months. So if over a six-month span, and guys, I'm not keeping track. It's not like I'm writing this down and going, hey, he was here on such and such day. I, we're just looking at, the, at a general time frame, but in about six months, you've come once here and then once there, that's irregular. That can lead to termination. Number two under that, sinful behavior continues, uh, continues after the point of counseling. And then 
Reinstatement may occur if initial attendance requirements are met again, so you'd have to come for the three months, or the sinful behavior has been dealt with and for a period of three months, you've proven yourself to be clear in that matter. The last thing you'd have to do, this is the hard part, complete the form. <laughs> you'd have to sign your name. That's it. That's it. We take the form. We just check those various things on the list, and then you are an official member. Not in the sight of God, mind you. This is in the sight of our church. Let me draw one last illustration as we close today. Does it make, do you have to sign the paper in order to accomplish something in the sight of God? Well, no, you can still function as a church member. You can do everything the other members do without signing the paper. But couldn't you do that with a marriage? Can two people move in together and do everything married people do without signing the magic book at the municipality? Yes. They can. Should they? No. I'm, I'm giving you a moment to think about that. I'm, I think I've caught some of you by surprise. Like, Wait a minute, where are we going with this? When two people want to get married, they need to have a public ceremony. You see this throughout the Bible. Why? Because these two are now becoming one. Two people acting as a unit and by saying publicly, we are now one. Society views them as one, treats them as one, and they are saying you can hold us accountable to act as one. If you see me running off with another woman, you can hold me accountable to that because I'm giving this commitment. Furthermore, society now knows this union is sacred and important and vital to the survival of this land. Countries are built out of cities. Cities are built out of homes. Homes are built out of marriages. And if marriages are not honored and highly esteemed as something very sacred and important, if we do not manifest that, we are undermining society and we are going to break down our countries because the foundation has eroded. We no longer treat it as sacred. That same idea, listen, I've done plenty of weddings. The man, I have a certain gentleman that helps me with this. He brings the magic book. And at the end of the ceremony, the couple will sign the book. Signing the book does not make you married. Exchanging vows to each other at the altar before God and all these witnesses, that's what makes you married in the sight of God. Why do we sign the book? Paperwork, organization, structure, so we can make plans, so we know how you pay taxes, very practical stuff. Why sign the book? Because it helps. Because in the sight of men, you're providing for things honest. Now society knows these Two are one. Why sign a paper to join a church? So that you are becoming one with this unit. So that the world knows this is a vital, important, and sacred institution that God ordained, not men. Jesus built the church. And I want to be a part of what Jesus is doing. He commanded us to act as a group. Yes, we are to do things individually, but Jesus also expects us to act as a unit. So to help us organize our efforts to accomplish this command of Christ, I ask you to consider joining the church. With this, I ask you to please read with me at the bottom of the outline this quote. This is from A.W. Tozer. In a chapter in his book, The Warfare of the Spirit, he's talking about the popularity of Christ. He had this to say, what should seriously concern us, however, 
is not that the world praises Christ without obeying Him, but that the church does. Even in the world, they'll say Jesus is a wonderful figure, but they don't obey Him. They don't dedicate their lives to Him, and that's fine. He goes on to say, the men of this world go their way, careless of the teachings of Christ, but in doing so, they are consistent with their position. Why? They never dedicated anything to Him. They have made no vows to the Lord nor taken His name upon them. But when a Christian ignores the commandment of Christ, he is guilty of sin doubly compounded. He violates holy vows, is guilty of rebellion against God, and commits the grotesque sin of calling Jesus Lord with His words and denying His Lordship with His deeds. If we call him Savior and Lord, then we need to take seriously all of his commands, which includes working together as a unit to accomplish these various goals he gave us to accomplish. Guys, thank you so much for your time this morning. I do appreciate it. Let's all stand if you would. We're going to have a few moments of prayer. I'd like for you to reflect on this. If you would like to fill the paper out, even before you leave, you're welcome to do so. You can fill it out, fold it. You can put it in the offering bag. There's a, there'll be an usher at the door with an offering bag. You can uh, slide it in there. And we'll be happy to take a look at that. And for those of you, maybe that you haven't been here long enough, uh, not the right time, no pressure at all. You can leave it where you're seated. You can, you can hand it in. You can do whatever you'd like with that paper. But I do appreciate you praying about it. Father, thank you so much this morning. What a blessing it has been. Uh, to consider these things, talk about the church, and talk about our goals moving forward. And Father, our desire is to accomplish that which you gave the church to accomplish. We want to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. We want to make disciples everywhere we go. And Lord, it is not about us as a church making a name for ourselves. We want to magnify the name of Christ. And Lord, thank you for what you've done in this church up until this point. It has been a joy to be able to serve you alongside these other people. And Father, I pray you continue to bring people this way. We need more laborers for the harvest. Thank you, God, for your patience with us and help us as we continue to grow as a church spiritually. Lord, we want to we love each other more. We want to know each other better. And we want other people to know you more and more. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Folks, thank you so much for all your time this morning. I hope you get home safe and 6 o'clock tonight. We do have that live stream service for Bible school.